0: Ghost of a Nelson Mandela coming to you from beyond the grave to bring you Nelson Mandela's ghostly Thanks. Faster. Uh, ah! Oh, my foot! I can't have run this thing on foot for long. I need to find somewhere to hide. Thank goodness, a ghostly cave! <sighs> I should be safe in here for now. You know, I don't just call this a ghostly cave because of a fondness for superlative adjectives. You see, everything in the ghostly plains is a ghost of something that was once of the world of the living. <sighs> so, this cave used to be alive, but must have been destroyed. Speaking of destroyed, miraculously, my podcasting equipment is undamaged. and still recording. Hello, man my- I should probably be a little quieter until that thing out there is gone. Hello my friends, it's me, Nelson Mandela! So, here we are, episode 5. I'm sitting in a cave, and you're sitting there, wherever you are, with a lot of questions, and whereas not telling my past self the whole story during that telephone call served a higher purpose, I owe you some answers. I think the beast is gone. I'll start a fire and we can get down to business. Come on, light! I'm on fire! Stop dropping roll! Stop dropping roll! (sighs) Ah, <sighs> oh, god that hurt! That's right my friends, I still feel pain. <sighs> so, let's answer some of your questions. Er... Uh, shout out the first thing you want me to answer and I will channel your voices across time and space to the Ghostly planes. Oh. Are you ready? Ah! A very good question. It all started following a suspicious invitation to Zimbabwe in April of 1994. It was the first time I found myself alone with Robert Mugabe. and I quickly realized he was a madman. And what started as it? Pleasant conversation about Mugabe's rare collection of authentic luchador masks, I soon found myself cowering in the corner of his office, scared for my life. He was waving a gun around and screaming about how he wanted to overthrow white society. I tried to calm him down, get him to put the gun down, and suddenly, he burst into tears, desperately proclaiming his admiration for me. From that moment on, He insisted that we were as brothers. A few weeks later, on the day I took office as the president of South Africa, a few hours before I would receive that fateful telephone call from my future self, I returned to my office following a delightful presidential brunch. Vickers! Get in here now! What the hell is going on in here?
1: What can I do for you, Mr. President? I'll
0: tell you what you can do for me, Vickers. You can explain why I have come back
1: to my office to find it filled with sand and... Is that a tiki Yes, Mr. President. It is just as you requested. Are you feeling well? Should I call a doctor? Send for a doctor, quickly!
0: Vickers, I'm fine. What the hell are you talking
1: about? Why in God's name would I ask you to do that? Mr. President, we asked you the same question, but you began shouting at us and starting firing your gun at the ceiling. I have a gun? That's ridiculous. Vickers, explain yourself at once. Yes, Mr. President, you were very explicit in your instructions. You said you wanted to feel like going to the office was like going to the beach. We covered the floor in sand built and fully stocked the tiki bar and brought the paddling pool in. I took the liberty of showing in your guest. My guest? That's
0: right, Nelson.
1: Get the lotion
0: and slip into something more comfortable. Should I fetch the presidential bathing suit? Oh, for God's sake, no! Vickers, can't you see it was Robert Mugabe who told you to do these things? How did you mistake me for Robert Mugabe? He doesn't even sound like me. Or oh, Robert Mugabe for that matter. I... I... Nelson, my dearest friend. Join me in the pool. No, no, Robert, I am not your friend. Vickers, I've told you before to watch out for his tricks. He's done this sort of thing before. Don't you remember the last time?
1: I will never forget that day. It's such a shame we could not save that poor girl's legs. Yes, it is. Robert! Get out of my office
0: now! Nelson, please! Oh, Jesus! Why are you naked? Sit back down for God's sake! Nelson! This is the last time, Robert. You've gone too far this time. I've had enough of your silly tricks. Get out of here before I have you dragged out! Vickers! Get him out
1: of here! Yes, Mr. President, right away. Mr. Robert, please come with me. I would rather not have to manhandle you.
0: (gasps) I will not be treated like this. This is most undignified. Mr. Robert, please put the gun down. Never! (laughs) Jesus, get that gun away from him!
1: (laughs) oh Okay! Okay! You win! I will go! Thank you, Mr. Robert! Come this way!
0: So long, Nelson! I left you a present in the pool! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh. Vickers! Bring a knife when you come back! I think I'm going to be sick! <laughs> so, now you know. Within a matter of weeks, Robert had already established a pattern of erratic behavior. That's why I, that is my past self, thought that I, that is my present self, was in fact Robert Mugabe, playing yet another trick on myself. My past self. (laughs) Oh god, it's still outside. Oh yes, I better tell you about that thing out there. It's a Sasquatch, a ghostly Sasquatch. Never in all my years have I met such a fearsome beast. This is the third time it has come for me, but luckily old Nelson is just too fast for old Mr. Sasquatch. (laughs) Oh God, I should move deeper inside the cave. Who would have thought that it was so easy to record a podcast on the move? So, what's next? Oh, cave paintings. They just about remind me of the hieroglyphs in Egypt. In 1994, I wrote that I had always been fascinated with Egypt as it is the cradle of African civilization. I always felt that my fascination was more than just an amateur interest in Egypt's archaeological history. I believe that it is important for African nationalists to be armed with evidence to dispute the fictitious claims of some whites that Africans are without a civilized past that compares with that of the West." that in a single morning, I discovered that the Egyptians created great works of art and architecture when whites were still living in caves. (laughs) I guess it's pretty ironic that I'm telling you this from inside a cave. Of course, my first trip to Egypt was in 1962 when I had been training with Omkonto Vestazwe I had little time for sightseeing, however, and when I visited again in 1990, I was given an honorary degree in political science from Cairo University. Unfortunately, I again had no time to see the wonders of Egypt, owing to my very busy schedule. On the 21st of October 1997, in my third visit to Egypt, I arrived in Cairo on the first leg of a North African tour that would eventually take me to Libya despite the objections of the United States. Of course, international flights to Libya were banned on the sanctions imposed by the United Nations in 1992, and during my visit I had reiterated South Africa's policy on the sanctions imposed by the United Nations to force Libya to hand over two suspects in the 1988 bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, B. But Libya had been a strong supporter of the South African liberation movements during the struggle against apartheid, and shortly after my arrival in Libya I had spoken to reporters saying, Those who say I should not be here are without morals. I am not going to join them in their lack of morality. This man helped us at a time when we were all alone, when those who say we should not come here were helping the enemy. I greeted Colonel Gaddafi saying, My brother leader, my brother leader, it is good to see you. And I gave him a kiss on the cheek. I learned a great deal about Libya during my trip. For instance, did you know that there are no electricity bills in Libya? Electricity is free for all its citizens. Also, all banks in Libya are state-owned and loans given to citizens are at 0% interest. Also, if a Libyan was unable to find employment after graduation, the state would pay the average salary of the profession until they found a job. And if a Libyan citizen wanted to take up a farming career, they received land, a house, equipment, everything they needed to start a farm, free from the government. Also, a portion of Libyan oil sales is credited directly to the bank accounts of all Libyan citizens. And, all expectant mothers received 5,000 US dollars to help in the birth of a new child. So, as far as US objections went, I thought, to hell with them. But I digress, I was in Egypt once again. I had two days before I would fly to Tunis, before I would travel by car to Libya. The trip began at a ceremony in Cairo. President Mubarak and I awarded each other our country's highest honors. I received the color of the Nile, and I presented President Mubarak with the order of good hope, and I thanked Egypt for its support during the long and brutal years of white minority rule in South Africa. I refer to my first visit to Egypt in 1962 when I was still a freedom fighter and I praised the late President Gamal Abdel Nasir who was a great source of inspiration for me during those dark times. Ugh, I hated ceremonies. So, once that was over with, I still had a day to kill before I was needed in Tunis and I finally thought I'd take in some of the beautiful history and architecture of Egypt. I had of course wanted to visit all the sites, Abu Simbel, the Valley of the Kings, but of course my heart had always yearned to see the Great Pyramids of Giza. I had arranged for a guide and a small security contingent to take me on a day trip to the Great Pyramids. We had set off long before dawn, and by morning, the pyramids were in sight. I was sat in the front passenger seat of a 4x4, my head back enjoying the sunshine and the cool breeze, my aviator sunglasses on, playing with the color of the Nile given to me by the President, and sipping water from a canteen that had been given to me by a mysterious peasant boy back in Cairo. I remember feeling good. I took in a deep breath and felt content for the first time in as long as I could have remembered. Finally, some time just for myself. Suddenly, we were set upon by a cow filled with highwaymen. Why I shall end the head? Yimshi! Yimshi! Without stopping to think, I immediately shouted orders to my Japanese guard, Gustav!
1: Yes, Mr. President.
0: Get us to the pyramid, quickly! I drew my revolver and stood up, aiming at the highwayman's car. My security personnel in the back seat began firing too, wounding one of our assailants. The highwayman slammed the car into the side of my former x 4 almost flipping us over. I fired again the bullet, missing the driver of the vehicle. With Gustav at the wheel, we raced towards the entrance to the pyramid compound. Security personnel quickly saw us and began to ready themselves. There was no time to explain the circumstances. The highwaymen were in hot pursuit and the Egyptian security forces would fire at us unless we stopped. At this point, collateral damage was unavoidable. Floor
1: it, Gustav! Onze. We slammed
0: through the fence and the Egyptian soldiers dived out of the way. Gustav stopped the car and we jumped out. I turned to the back seat of the 4x4. Both Mahmoud and Steve were dead. Quickly, into the pyramid! We quickly ran into the pyramid, sealing the entrance with C4. Damn it Gustav! Now is not the time for your incessant pessimism! Oh, but how will we get out of it? There is only one exit there! Gustav, don't be a fool! The robber's entrance may be the entrance used today, but there were many exits built into the pyramid! How can you be sure that the exits exist? Look at where we are! The pyramids defy the explanation of their origin! They represent such a feat of architecture that modern architects do not believe that they could replicate the work with even today's technology. Do you think that builders so advanced would forget to put in a fire escape for God's sake? Now come on, follow me. I turned on my flashlight and began leading us into the pyramid. The explosion had filled the shaft with dust from the falling debris, and the flashlight failed to illuminate anything more than a few feet through the thick layer of dust that hung in the air. Slowly, we made our way through the passageway until we reached a sign. What does it say? I cannot read our English. Descending passage! Warning! Entrance forbidden!
1: I don't think we should go down here. It sounds very dangerous. Nonsense! It will be fine. Mr. President, I'm sure access is forbidden for a reason. What if it is the Rogue Gellion What if the explosion made things worse? Oh,
0: maybe the reason is, less, but there is something down here they don't want us to see. Mr. President, I- Come now, Gustav. Where's your sense of adventure? Follow me and stop your childish prattling! We traveled through the descending passage, slowly making our way down, until finally we reached the subterranean chamber. By now, the doors had cleared, or at least had not yet penetrated this far down into the pyramid. We entered the chamber. It was dark. There's nothing here. Don't be so quick to jump to conclusions, Gustav. I shone my flashlight across the chamber. From what I knew of the subterranean chamber, it was never finished, and some scholars believed that it had been a mistake. Builders as sophisticated as those who built the pyramids aren't likely to be the sort that make mistakes, I thought to myself. I moved further into the chamber. Mr. President, we should go. Be quiet, Gustav. I think I can hear something. As I approached the far side of the chamber, the sound grew louder, and the color of the Nile shimmered with a faint blue light. Did you see that? Mr. President, I must insist that we leave at once. I ignored Gustav and reached out my hand. I feel the wall on the far side of the chamber pulsing. I touched the wall, and suddenly the stone pushed into the wall as I applied pressure to it. The room began to shake, and suddenly a stone monolith began to rise from the floor in the center of the chamber. It quickly rose out of the ground, and once the dust had settled, I cautiously approached it and slowly reached out my hand.
1: I'm sorry, Mr. President, but I must ask you to stop right there. There you go.
0: What? Gustav pulled a gun on me and pointed it out my head. Gustav, what are you doing?
1: I cannot allow you to discover the secret of the pharaohs.
0: The secret of the pharaohs? What the hell are you talking about?
1: Goodbye, Mr. President. This him will be your turn.
0: Gustav, wait! I quickly drew my pistol. <laughs> Gustav stood staring at me for a moment, and then he collapsed to the floor. I stood alone in the pyramid, looking at Gustav's fallen body. I felt betrayed. Who the hell was he working for? And what had he meant by the secret of the pharaohs? Suddenly, I heard an echo come from inside the descending passage. Ahesh, It was the highwayman! I quickly ran towards the descending passage and headed up, taking an adjoining tunnel away from the highwayman, just as their flashlight beams began to dance upon me. I made my escape and didn't look back. I woke up the next morning and began to prepare for my trip to Tunis. I had snook back into the hotel in the middle of the night and at breakfast I came down to find my presidential aide in
1: quite the panic! Mr. President! Thank God! You are alright! Yes, Vickers. I'm fine. Your security contingent did not report in. What happened to you at the pyramids? We were set upon by highwaymen. My God! We heard reports from the Egyptian security forces and feared the West. What happened to your security contingent?
0: They're... they're all dead, Vickers. I debriefed Vicus over a delightful continental breakfast. Mm. And he was soon able to take care of all the loose ends that tend to come up when a world leader is involved in a gun battle with armed highwaymen at a world landmark. After that, my tour across Northern Africa continued without incident. Of course, after my past self's telephone call with his future self, my past self knew that he would have to return to Egypt once more to discover the secret of the pharaohs. It was the 15th of June, 1999, The day after, I left office as president of South Africa, and once more I found myself at the Great Pyramid of Giza. This time, my efforts to reach the pyramid went unhindered, and after paying a considerable bribe to the Egyptian security forces, I was allowed to enter the Great Pyramid unsupervised. Once more, I squeezed myself into the tight descending passage. Once more, I made my descent into the subterranean chamber. Once more, wailing the color of the Nile. And once more, I slowly reached out my hand and touched the throbbing monolith. And suddenly, I was transported back in time to ancient Egypt. I looked around the chamber and it was transformed. It was lit up with torches, the walls and floor were smooth stone, and the monolith itself was covered in hieroglyphs. The few that I managed to focus on seemed to foretell of future catastrophes, the rise of an empire, the exile of a people, the fall of two towers, and the rise of a tyrant. I looked around, and saw that the chamber was filled with chanting worshippers. They were conducting some sort of ritual, gathered around the monolith, surrounding me in the center of the chamber. Uh, hello, I said. They ignored me. Hello, I said a little louder. Still, they ignored me. Hmm, I thought. Perhaps they can't see me. A high priest entered the chamber, flanked by several guards on each side, and around the priest's neck was the color of the Nile. I looked down at my own neck to see if I was still wearing my collar, the one from back in 1999, but it was gone. My clothes too had changed. In place of my pinstripe blue suit, a papyrus rags that barely covered my genitals. I looked back at the priest as he approached the monolith. His color of the Nile was glowing, and with his arms outstretched, he suddenly looked at me.
1: is now. Uh,
0: hello. The priest pointed at me, and the guards that had accompanied him into the chamber suddenly scrambled into a frenzy to apprehend me. I looked around desperately for something to defend myself, but quickly found myself at the end of a spear. Sud-n-tah! Two of the guards roughly grabbed me by the arms, uh, and then I was hit over the head. <laughs> uh. I woke up with a throbbing headache. I opened my eyes and found myself not in the luxurious hotel suite I was staying in, but in a slave encampment overlooked by the incomplete Great Pyramid. The slave encampment was filthy and overcrowded. All at once, in a glance, I saw two men fighting over what looked like a loaf of bread, an elderly woman squatting on the floor to do her business, and A mysterious peasant boy. You! I said. Here. Take this. It was the same peasant boy who had given me the drinking canteen back in 1997. And now again. In God knows when. So I'll just say... Ancient Egypt. He gave me some water from a bucket. Oh, thank you. You are most welcome. You speak English. The boy simply smiled, and in the distance, the two men fighting over the bread stopped suddenly after one of the men found a rock and pounded it into the other man's skull. Nobody seemed to notice the brutal murder. It must have been common in a place like this. How are you here? More to the point. How were you in 1997?
1: Do not concern yourself with that now. You must rest.
0: I felt exhausted and as if my body had been waiting for permission. I felt my eyes begin to grow heavy. I shivered and laughed nervously. It's pretty cold. He smiled at me and pulled a blanket out from behind a rock. It was dusty and to be honest it smelled like urine. But it was warm, and nights in the desert are cold. I yawned. Closed my eyes and fell into a dreamless slumber. Zimbel! I woke up suddenly when a bucket of warm excrement was thrown over me. The morning sun was already unbearably hot, and the smell of the excrement inflamed my nostrils.
1: Chuxi! Chuxi!
0: I held up my hands and slowly rose to my feet. The guard spared a mere few inches from my face. I looked round for the peasant boy, but he was gone. They put me to work as slave labor, building the Great Pyramid. I was part of a gang, breaking rocks. The man next to me, old in years and frail, began to sway in the desert heat. The other prisoners did not notice him stop suddenly, struggling to breathe. The guard started to watch him, and the old man suddenly dropped his pickaxe. VENKA smiled, His eyes wide in terror, looking at the sun. Are you okay, my friend? I asked. Suddenly, he looked at me with utter desperation. The guards approached, and the old man dropped to his knees. Without a moment's hesitation, the guard began whipping the poor man. Without a moment of hesitation on my part, I swung my pickaxe at the guard, caving in his face with a single blow. I followed the momentum of my swing, turning a full 360 degrees before burying the pickaxe into the abdomen of the second guard. The chain gang erupted in cheers. I could see more guards running towards us. I quickly used the pickaxe to break the chains holding me to the other slaves. They quickly followed suit, freeing themselves, then grabbed the guard's weapons and ran towards our attackers. Now was my chance to escape. I could see the entrance to the Pyramid a few hundred feet away. It would be a gauntlet of guards and spears, but there was only one path back to 1999. Without a moment to steel myself, I gripped tightly on the pickaxe and ran towards the Pyramid. Guard after guard came at me, guard after guard fell, and I soon found myself at the entrance to the Great Pyramid, covered in blood, with an army of cheering slaves behind me. in the Pyramid, I would need a different tact. It would appear that the guards inside the Pyramid were not aware of the chaos outside, and so I began to sneak towards the subterranean chamber. Surely, I must be able to return home by the same means I arrived, I thought to myself. If not, I'd be stuck in ancient Egypt forever! Of course, you know that this is not what happened. I returned to the chamber, and as I reached the entrance, I heard voices inside. I crept inside, hiding behind some debris, so that I could eavesdrop on the conversation. I soon saw that one of the voices belonged to the Pharaoh. He was stood in the finest silks, with beautiful bronze skin. Accompanied by a brute of a man that must have been his personal bodyguard. There was a group of men showing him around the chamber, almost giving him a toe by the looks of things. Perhaps they are the men who supervised the building of the pyramid, I thought. They were smiling excitedly as they showed Pharaoh round the chamber, all of them all too eager to join in the excited chatter. There was a tall man towering above them listening to every word they said. Jesus, he's huge. The tall man was at least nine feet tall, wearing a hooded cloak that covered his face. One of the men pointed to the monolith in the center of the room and the pharaoh reached out to touch it. Suddenly, the tall man struck the pharaoh across the face and the man stood staring in terror. For a moment, Everyone stood in silence. I thought the pharaoh's bodyguard would kill the tall man for striking the pharaoh, but he too looked scared. Finally, the pharaoh looked up with fear and sincerity in his eyes and spoke softly to the tall man, before bowing his head in servitude. Venkatesh. What the hell? I thought, and leaned in closer. Oh no! As I leaned forward, I knocked some of the stones loose from the pile of debris and gave away my position. Suddenly, the tall man looked at me with utter shock, and with an arm outstretched pointed to me and screamed, I made a run for the monolith as all of the men in the room descended upon me. As the tall man reached out his hand to seize me, I caught a glimpse of his face beneath the hood. His skin was grey, and he had huge black eyes. I leapt forward, reaching for the monolith. My eyes closed in terror as I felt his cold hand touch my neck whilst I simultaneously touched the monolith. When I opened my eyes, I was back in 1999. It took me several hours to find a way out and I began to make my way back to Cairo. By the time I got back to Cairo, I was exhausted. My mind burned with questions. Where was the nearest toilet? And what was the secret of the pharaohs? And who, or what, was the tall man? I made my way through the busy marketplace, covered in dust and soaking wet with sweat. I began to sway as I walked through the market. I felt dizzy, and all of a sudden, I collapsed into an alley, dehydrated with a mouth as dry as the desert itself. A shadow was cast over me in the midday sun. I looked up, and once more saw the peasant boy. You! He smiled at me for a moment before leaning forward to offer me a bottle of water. I grasped for the bottle with both hands and drank the water. It was cool and refreshing.
1: Thank you. You must tell and one. What? Why? They are not yet ready to know the
0: secret. The tall man? He wasn't human, was he? No. What was he?
1: A visitor from the stars.
0: <gasps> I gasped with shock. I need to tell the world. They're not yet
1: ready to understand who they are, much less who they were. But... If you tell the world, They will not believe you, and
0: you will need them to believe in you for what is yet to come. I don't understand. You will. I looked at the boy with astonishment. Who are you? A friend. He smiled and stepped out of the sunlight, and the glare of the sun burned my eyes, forcing me to shield them from the sun for just a moment. When I moved my hand, he was gone. So, there you have it my friends, I kept this secret for all these years. The tall man was the architect of the pyramids, the tall man was an alien. Of course, many learned scholars have floated this theory before, but I'm here to tell you that it's true, every word of it. Many years later, I would be abducted by aliens, but that is another story altogether. Now, I know what you're thinking, my friends. What the hell is 9-11? Well, there are some secrets that we may never learn the truth about. You know, I can't believe it. I actually got to end this episode on my own terms. I think I'll stay here for the night. This cave is pretty cozy. Good night, my friends. This is the ghost of Nelson Mandela wishing you a... What the? Oh god, it's a cave-in! I've got to get out of here!